Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pushing the Envelope, where all manner of fringe topics are covered from a purely biblical perspective. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this edition of Pushing the Envelope. We have got some serious topics to address tonight, and that's exactly what we're going to do. We are your host, Matthew Miller and Brian Ingram, and we certainly welcome you to the broadcast. Tonight, we are going to push the envelope. What are these entities that are encountered during alien abduction scenarios. There's too many people that have come on record and described these, well, the politically correct way to apply the terms is alien races. Are they genetically engineered? Are they slaves from other planets? Are they slaves from other dimensions? We're going to push the envelope. We're going to talk about the things that nobody else wants to talk about in the church. It's exactly what Brian and I are going to do. And we're going to do this from a perspective with which most of them cannot. Now, all of you know that Brian and I are, well, two sides of one coin. Make no mistakes about it. From my very inception, I have been raised in the way I should go. Brian, however, he spent a lot of his life, well, as far as I'm concerned, exercising in suicidal tendencies, in outright rebellion against the Lord his God. He has dealt with a lot of these entities. There are major movies that's been released here recently that Brian has described to me having personal conversations with these entities that would physically appear and have a seat in his apartment and have discussions. So with that in mind… Let us push the envelope. Brian, let's get your opening diatribe. Um, Just lay what you've got out on the table. Are these things alien species from different planets on our dimension? Or do you think they are entities from a different dimension? Do you think they are manufactured? Or do you think they have been forced into servitude by an overseer race? Just lay it on the, out on the table, Bry. What's your opening diatribe? Well, I would state from what I was uh, pointing out in the previous program as well that I strongly 
tend to slide towards the fact that these things were, to an essence, manufactured, created. And as I had even brought up in Psalms 139, verse 16, which has an alphanumeric value of 1947, the actual first Hebrew word in that verse is Gollum. Now, we had discussed what that meant exactly last week. And this ties part and parcel into this. Now, when we begin to look down some of these trails concerning uh, what went on within the occult realm, most notably when you start with Aleister Crowley, then you take it forward to Jack Parsons, you're going to find out that they perpetrated some very disturbing events that add an extreme amount of context in light of prophetic events in the future as well. Now, this is where we sort of come in and start ironing these odds and ends out. And before going much further, I'd like to have Matthew comment on what I just stated. Well, you know, to be blunt, when you look over the technical data uh, of when major esoteric events were being engaged, most noticeably, uh, most notably uh, from the individual that called himself the Beast, 666, you cannot pull your part away from the simple fact that he began his major workings before World War One. What is even more troubling is that on his trip to the United States to propagate his blasphemies, he was a passenger aboard the Lusitania. He would later state and claim credit for the Americans getting into that war because as all of you are well aware that our history buffs the Lusitania would go on to be torpedoed by German submarines that did in fact drag us into an engagement with the Axis so that is of public record there is no denying it now the problem here is, is that he went to great lengths to document the simple fact that he had manufactured what is called an, well, agore. It was an entity that he called lamb. And this is a purely occult concept that through esoteric machinations you can create an autonomous psychic entity made up of and influencing the thoughts of a group of people and that this could manifest itself quite physically on this plane in this dimension however you would like to call it now I have stated the facts of the matter what I'm telling you is true so when you begin to realize and line up his workings with the start of World War I, it gets off the charts. 
you get to that point in the historical records that you can't separate the two. So, Brian, back to you. Well, that is most definitely the case. And even when you go in and consider, for instance, we've had to look down some rather interesting roads here over the course of the last week. Now, a lot of this was essentially review for me because I've dug so deeply into this whole area since I was about 16, like I explained last week with the event that happened to me during the Belleville, Wisconsin UFO flap, which on record, according to the people that have deeply investigated it, it is the number one uh, most reported account of abductions that has happened anywhere in the United States since this all began in 1947. And this year becomes key critical in this because so many things were perpetrated going right up to that very point that literally opened the doorway, broke the veil as they brought these things through and then turned around on top of it created a golem, and it gets very uh, disturbing once you understand the full-blown context of what was done, you know, and if we even stop to consider the life of uh, Aleister Crowley, when you begin to realize that he got to start beginning to slowly move forward in around 1897, but then he gets going full swing in 1899. Well, l- now, let me stop you. Go ahead. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. To breach it, and I appreciate your expertise in the esoteric. However, you are most incorrect. He got his start in the Plymouth Brethren. Now, let me make sure all of you theological academics are very quite clear with what I'm about to say. Yes, the exact same Plymouth Brethren. That came up with the rapture eschatology. He was driven to this by his mother. It was that that drove him to the place that Brian just mentioned. And you all better take that to the bank and you better look it up. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. His event horizon was the Plymouth Brethren. Now, Brian, I'm sorry for the interjection there, but I had to. Please continue. Well, that's the thing. I was pointing out when he began his road into the occult. I wasn't talking about his early beginnings. So for everybody to get a precursor of where he started, yes, that's absolutely key critical. And, you know, taking another note as well, he was a very, very... How do you put this? Uh, He was very interested in end times prophecy, of course. And I find it quite ironic that you bring up that term rapture because Jack Parsons himself used that terminology as well in his, uh, his Babylon working. And quite extensively, it's just ironic that when you begin to tear down what these people did, they quite literally knew what kind of stunts they were perpetrating. And when you really begin to dig under the uh, hood of what was done, specifically with Jack Parsons, 
you're going to realize how deeply and terribly that they had infiltrated the church when you start coming up into your late 60s and moving forward, and then we sit to modern day times. And these things stood out like a sore thumb to me when I went over them last night looking specifically at Parsons' working that he did. But this is going backwards now to what we were discussing concerning Aleister Crowley. Now, for those of you that are familiar with what we've been doing over at the End Time Tribune, I have brought up many, many, many times concerning the 120-year generation that's spoken of in Genesis 6. And this marker that starts in 1899 and progresses forward for 120 years up to 2019. There's always an interesting two-year interval of events that are happening on either side of those specific dates. But when you keep rolling these events forward and adding 10 years, you're going to notice that you have a repetition between the four craftsmen, the four writers, in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 6. You will take note that they keep repeating. 40-year cycle starts all over again. And when Crowley began doing all that he was doing, you start noticing that he had correlations in the specific spots, places where he was going, that all locked in part and parcel to the events leading up to World War One, going forward into World War Two, and there's really no end in sight to this. So there was something going on as far as a historical pattern was concerned. Now, as he was moving forward throughout his varied workings, there's some key places along his path that really start to stand out once you know what you're looking at. For one, he ended up in Cairo. One of the deities he called forth was by the name of Iowas, which when you look at the picture, once again looks just like a gray alien. But then you have the next set, which is Lamb, which essentially that meaning can break down to a pathfinder, but not to even mention it's tied into the Tibetan word for Lama. And that's important. It's excruciatingly important in light of all of this. It was not coincidence that he goes to Egypt and he starts. Now, if you go over and look at the book of Zechariah concerning those craftsmen, you're going to find out something about the fourth writer and where he goes because it tells you he goes towards the south. That's going to be taking you towards Egypt, but do not forget the Arabian continent because we're also told through the Greek terminology that is used in the Septuagint in Zechariah and in Daniel, for that matter, the south is also going to point you towards Yemen, towards Sheba. So once again, this is not coincidental that this progress, these steps were made. He goes out to the Himalayas many times, up in with the Tibetans, back and forth and back and forth we go. Now the fact that he was going to the Tibetans is excruciatingly important in light of what I refer to as the court of Daniel. With that little bit, I'll give it over to you, Matthew. Well, ladies and gentlemen, 
yes, you cross over into the scripture and start taking a healthy look at it. And you're not going to find what you want. You are absolutely not going to find what is cozy in the scripture. And you never do, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody knows that the majority of what the Lord, their God, has to say is against their greater desire. Now, when you take a serious look at both the golem in Scripture and, of course, the humunculus, yes, it's in the Scripture. Take a good search through your Bible for the term God-pleaser. I hate to rain on your party. In the Greek, it's quite clear that is humunculus. Now, as already mentioned, you can't get around the simple fact that the Bible comes out and states quite clearly that the Assyrian false prophet has the power to create an image and give it life. So you can put your opinions in the back seat to the authority of the scripture. That's what it says. If you believe something else, that's fine. That's fine. You can believe whatever you want. However, the fact of the matter is, it was God that wrote the Bible. And it's that Bible that you're going to be judged off of. So you have to come with a reckoning of the Scripture before you come in front of God's face, which you are going to do for the judgment day. Make no mistakes about it. You're going to be right there with Alistair and everybody else. Brian, you're going to be there with me. And that you can take to the bank. Now, as far as physical evidence that uh, things have been made, I just listened to... <laughs> An accredited a theological expert today. And he babbled on and on and on about how the simple fact that there's no such thing as alien abduction. It's all sleep paralysis. Really? Well, there's other accredited <laughs> experts in their field that have pulled things out of people. That could not have been forged in any crucible on this planet. I strongly suggest you go take a look at my Facebook page right now. I posted the video, and I all the crap has been taken out of it. The two scientists come on, and they give their definitive declarations about this particular object that had been removed from a living patient. It was removed from a living patient by an accredited licensed surgeon. So you can take that to the bank with all your lies. It is not sleep paralysis. Now, it goes beyond my purview to determine whether it is interstellar, intersolar system, I mean, for all I know, it could be from Venus. There really could be Martians. I don't have the technical data to analyze. 
I can't tell you if it's interdimensional. All I do know is that when an object whose major base is iron, let me say that biblically for you, sederos, the other 25% of the iron in this object comes from meteorites that can only be obtained from the core of an exploded planet. Then you bring up elements, there's no way they could be in this device. Look, ladies and gentlemen, I have worked in a factory that had its own foundry. I would like to see and challenge any of you to come up with an alloy with 36 different elements in it with multiple isotopes of one element. No, ladies and gentlemen, sorry, that can't be done. So with that in mind, we just got to push the envelope out there. We have to talk about it, and I don't like it. Everybody knows that. Look, I do the Bible. I, I don't even care about anything else. And Brian, uh, you know, we've argued about this many times privately. I preach Christ. I don't preach the Illuminati. I don't preach moon men. I don't preach the supernatural. It's not what I do. But... I find myself in error. I find myself insufficient to the body of Christ if I don't push the envelope. We talk about it and come to grips with it. Most of you have a familiar knowledge of just the English text. That's not what God wrote it in. He wrote it in Hebrew, and he wrote it in the Greek. And he did that because there is no physical possible way to contain what comes out of his mouth in just one written language. That can't be done. So with that in mind, the scriptures that Brian just brought up, you just you just have to come to a reckoning in your mind. Do you just you have to get in the batter's box, ladies and gentlemen? And you better beware. Of these self-serving shepherds. They don't have. God's agenda. On their mind. And if they say something. That directly contradicts. Either the facts. Or the Bible. Let me clarify myself. Every single. Thing. In the Hebrew and the Greek. That is the fact. Unnegotiable. However, when you deal with a metallurgist, and he clearly defines for you, there's no way an object could have been forged here with our technology, comprised of 36 different elements. Well, that is also true, especially when you go on and see another expert give the exact same conclusion. If the shepherd you're listening to is saying something else, you need to jump the fence and find yourself another flock, and you better do it quick, because the lions are better. Oh my goodness, don't you realize the lions are better? Just like much of the documentary I watched about Alistair. Oh, he made no mistakes about it. He didn't lie. No, he didn't lie. He would come right out and tell you exactly what he was, what he was doing, 
But these self-serving shepherds, just take note of that. And you better especially be fearful of the self-serving shepherds that are once saved, always saved, because they can absolutely believe in their heart. They can even murder you. Doesn't matter. They're still going to heaven. So, of course, they're going to rape your faith. That's a given. Brian, back to you. Well, and this is the entirety of this. Pushing the envelope. This is the whole point. If we can't tie these correlations into something that makes sense in light of what the Bible says, then what are we doing here? Therefore, while we're going through this process, we begin to understand what is actually happening here. You know, as I brought up, I see these things as being automatons, as being, as one of the researchers put it, he referred to them as a extraterrestrial biological entity. He stated that they were essentially a clone. They're made up of some form of material that's tied into babies, to fetuses. And, you know, this is uh, a guy that was at Roswell who dealt with the recovered bodies. He came forward and stated this in one of his interviews. Now, if that is indeed the case, when we consider on top of it what was done in these workings, as they pulled something through the veil, well, here's the key critical question. If these things are automatons, they're working as some ways I've seen it put over the years, as I had to obviously, you know, I spent from 16 up to 30 deeply looking into these things, trying to comprehend what happened in my own realm. This sort of ties into this. If these things are being controlled, then who's controlling them? Now, I know that the atypical thing that is uh, being stated by most out there that are trying to pursue this field within the biblical realm are again and again and again pointing at the host being behind it. This is where I've personally have always differed, I guess, in the way I've looked at this. We have brought up that iron cannot mingle with clay. They shall not cleave unto one another. When you understand that humans are made from clay, and the angels themselves made from iron, my biggest question in all of this, since I started back in 2011, was at the time I really began to ask that question, if they know full well that they cannot do this thing, then why would they go out of their way to try to do the very thing that they know that God has set laws in motion, rules in motion, so this thing cannot be done again? This had always told me that we had to look somewhere else. Now, when I found this correlation to the alphanumerics in 1947 and that word golem, this was back in the beginning of the year when I started. Matthew was together with some brothers and sisters. They were out at a camping thing, and I remember he called that day. I told him, I said, uh, uh, why is this word golem in this verse, these verses that align with the alphanumerics of 
1947. Why is Gollum here? You see, I have a process of how I go about things. You see, I'm not going to throw something out there unless I can prove it. So I began to look deeper at these Gollum to see if indeed that this was even possible. And boy, oh boy, oh boy. You end up looking at one of the uh, Hebrew Kabbalistic texts called the Sefer Yetzirah, which has everything to do with the creation of a golem. And then you compare what was done here by Jack Parsons and with the group with L. Ron Hubbard, who everybody knows from Scientology, obviously also with the prodding of Aleister Crowley, you had another man here in the mix. They were all part of NASA's rocket projects, and that's even Jack Parsons' claim to fame is his work on rockets. And, folks, if you've got CBS All Access, it's the only place you can get it. They're doing a program that's on the biography of his life right now. I've watched the first two episodes, and I was actually stunned. I could not believe that they were actually bringing this forward. They're doing it. But basically, when you look at what these uh, knuckleheads, I don't know what else to call them, did this. See, they went through a very specific set of workings. But they were also dealing with, uh, you see, they didn't make how your standard golem is created. They didn't use clay. They didn't write the specific word on the forehead. No, they used uh, mantras, chanting, to bring this thing into existence. And ironically enough, in the Setzer, in the Sefer Yetzirah, the book of creation, this is from the book in Creation and Theory and Practice, you've got this statement right in the midst of the book. There is also evidence that creating a golem was primarily not a physical procedure, but rather a highly advanced meditative technique. By chanting the appropriate letter arrays together with the letters of the Tetragrammaton, the initiate could form a very real mental image of a human being limb by limb. This possibly could be used as an astral body through which one could ascend to the spiritual realms. The formation of such a spiritual body, however, would also result in tremendous spiritual potential. Once the conceptual golem was completed, this spiritual potential could be transformed to a clay form and actually animated. And I'll stop there with just that quote. Because essentially, yes, it is known that they can do what they did. And they took this many steps further. Many disturbing steps further. So we know that this can happen. And yet we roll back around. Well, who's pulling these strings of these... uh, of these beings. Give it over to you, Matthew. Well, ladies and gentlemen, just so you understand what Brian was talking about there, it was not just a mantra, okay? It was not just some random saying. What they were trying to do was they were trying to speak exactly what God said when he made Adam. Now, in order to do this, They understood that if you spoke the phrase, 
and every possible combination of vowels you could come up with, you would eventually say unknowingly exactly what God had spoken when he made Adam. Let me give you a clue. Everybody knows on this planet, except American Christians, that you can never know how to pronounce Hebrew because God took the vowels. So you would take the text that Brian mentioned, and that's how you would accomplish it. That was the mantra you were trying to deduct. Let me make sure that you understand. God said something. There was a series of syllables that came out of his mouth. If you were to say the exact thing that God spoke, whether you understood what you were saying or not is irrelevant. If you by happenstance said exactly what came out of God's mouth when he formed Adam, you could create the golem. Now, with that being said, of course we have one historical instance of this very thing happening. It has been regulated to myth and legend. However, there are tales that the actual golem is in the attic of a very particular synagogue in Europe. So with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you need to sit back and consider what I just said. Now you understand why these Kabbalists knew that such a thing could be done. All you had to do was by haphazardly trying so many different combinations of the Hebrew consonants and applying every known vowel to those consonants, you would literally eventually speak what came out of God's mouth. And then it would be done. So now you're in a whole different area here now because it's starting to sink into you that Alistair knew exactly what the truth was, and he always did. And everything he was ever able to accomplish, he learned from Hebrew. You don't have to like it, but that is the truth. So with that in mind, we're, we're breaching a tablet a topic here that most people absolutely refuse to cover, and it's the absolute truth. All magic comes from Hebrew. So, we also have the other side of the coin. Ladies and gentlemen, right now, you don't have to like it. We have genetic engineering going on right now, and you can even buy creatures of mixed genetics. Right now, you can buy from foreign countries, especially the Orient. You can buy, well, fluorescent poodles, and that's a fact because they've had their DNA mingled with jellyfish, and they literally glow. Now, let me tell you something that you don't want to hear, although you hear a lot of it in the mainstream news. They talk a whole lot about stem cells, don't they? And... Just so you all know, that's why I hear recently, e even though nobody did anything about it, 
we caught Planned Parenthood buying aborted corpses. Well, I'm sorry. Did I not speak politically correct to you? I'm not going to call it the F word. It's a baby. And if you kill it, it becomes a corpse. They're buying them, and they are valuable for the stem cells. A stem cell is a slug that is not been programmed yet. The people who walk around with the most of these are mothers. Every baby that is in the womb gives the mother stem cells. After the birth and there's another pregnancy, she gets even more from that child. Everybody knows this. This is common knowledge. Later, when that mother gets an injury or some sort of sickness, this is a matter of fact that God will take those stem cells and use them to repair the mother. So what could you do with stem cells in the hands of the God-haters? Why don't we just let your imagination run amok? I mean, tell me. Riddle me this. Let's say there was a oh, 70-year-old that owned, let's say, any of the major oil companies. And his heart was beginning to weaken or coming up with problems. What do you think would happen if he just got a nice shot to the heart with a syringe full of stem cells? What do you think they're able to do in the lab now? I mean, they've already got – I mean, they've – there's major documentaries you can watch from all of the major uh, news stations. Uh, they will even show you the microscopic views of when they inject other genetic material into eggs. And they've been doing this for a while, and you actually think that – they're acting like good, moral, upright God-haters. Give yourself a clue. If you're an atheist, you have no morals. Everybody knows that. That's why they want to wipe out three-quarters of the population. They call us feeders, and they call us breeders. And if you're a Christian that uses those two terms… Boy, are me and you going to have an argument in front of God's face on Judgment Day. Just so you know. But scientifically, we are coming to the point where we could most certainly create mechanations from multiple DNA sources. Where I'm, I already stated it. You can look it up yourself. Such creatures are already for sale. You can buy them. Now, with that in mind, uh, what's stopping them from taking, let's say, I don't know, praying mantis DNA and mingling it with whatever they wanted? What could, nay, wrong question, what have they created that we don't know about? Now, that's a scary thought. But it's the truth. Now I'm going to have to bring up something that Brian's not bringing up, so I'm going to have to bring it up because we don't have a third person to do it. 
interdimensional beings. This is very elementary for all of you. Let me explain it to you. An other dimensional being is still from the planet Earth. Take note. When you travel dimensionally, you do not move location. Now, if there is such a thing as interdimensions, what makes you think that there aren't mantis types of creatures or reptile type of creatures or Nordic type of creatures? You can't. We simply don't have the technical data to address that topic. But I do have to say it because i got to push the envelope. My opinions don't matter, and they never did. The only thing that does matter is, well, what did God say? What does the evidence prove? That's really the only things I can go with personally. So these very well could be extra-dimensional creatures. Now, if they are from this dimension and they're from another place, well, you're going to have to prove it. Of course, we can't. They're never going to let you have your hands on that evidence. Outside of the evidence I just quoted, with these alien implants that had been taken out, we actually do have the hard copy. Those implants did not and was not made on this planet. So they did come from somewhere else or a different dimension. But I cannot make a determination of which. So... Brian and I have to push the envelope. We have to talk about things that we don't like to talk about. We have to go there. If it's a topic, we're going to go there. We have to. But you have to consider that, that whatever these implants, wherever they were from, it was not from this place or this dimension or neither this place nor dimension. Because take note. I used this example the other day, and it's the perfect example to get people to get it. In our asteroid belt, there was a planet. Everybody knows this. They've known this I don't, since the 1800s, I think. But anyway, in a different dimension, there could be a planet there that is habitable. So those beings could come into our dimension and then travel that distance from the asteroid belt to Earth. That is a possibility. Therefore, it's coming out of my mouth. So, with that backdrop, Brian, um, I pass the mic back over to you. And look, look, let me say his disclaimer. Brian and I aren't trying to upset anybody. We're just trying to cover all the facts, all the possibilities and bring up the simple fact that, oh, there is something happening. And if your shepherd is telling you nothing's happening, he's lying. He's lying. And he's not doing it for your benefit. <laughs> he's doing it for his own. I mean, one would hate to lose their tenure. So I have to cover it. I have to talk about it. But I'm, we're not trying to upset you. I am telling you this one thing. I don't care what dimension you go to or what planet you go to. Christ, he is the king in that place. Brian, 
Back to you. Well, let me expand on what you just stated too, folks, because look, I need to state something flat out. Okay, 18, 19 years of age, I walked into a church trying to get answers to understand these events that had been transpiring in my life. They chased me out. They refused, refused to even acknowledge that these kinds of things can be happening, be it things from the demonic realm, be it these uh, biological entities, be it whatever aspect it may be. And folks, as we go along through these series, I'm going to be relaying stuff that you're not going to believe at first. But I can assure you there are things happening that many, luckily enough, have not had their eyes opened to what's going on. And I prefer to use the terminology at times beyond the veil. Because as Matthew pointed out, when you when you deal with that terminology, say, from the science end of things, from the physics end of things, where they call it dimensions, I've always looked at that as being but a veil between one side of the equation and the other, meaning a lot of people are not capable of peering into those realms. Now, of course, getting rejected by trying to get answers from the church, I went looking for my own answers. And of course, this led me down the path that it did. You know, of course, I started within the modern terminology anyways, derived from the Russian. I started with the infamous shamanism. Then I moved into the realms of high magic. Well, the realms of high magic, when you start going there, you have only one conclusion that God is real. That everything spoken of in the Bible is real. A stepping stone. At least it was for me. Because I was just looking for the truth. I didn't care about any of the nonsense. I wanted to know why these things were happening. And when you've got a circumstance where a lot of people in America especially seem to be getting affected by these events and they walk into the church asking for answers and get chased out, you have non-stop documented events where people's houses are completely, be it, you can call it possessed, haunted, and then you have possessed or not necessarily possessed or haunted people. And these people go to the church trying to get help, trying to get answers, and guess what? They get chased out too. Why? The Bible talks about these things nonstop. So why is it that these self-serving shepherds refuse to help anybody when they come to them with these circumstances? You know, this last, uh, this last, uh, and it's not a church. I don't like even calling that place that because it wasn't. It was an occult coven. People come in there needing help that were having issues with these very things, they would try to chase them out. I literally got so fed up, I had to deal with the circumstance on my own. And I let everybody know in there, that's it. This is the final straw. This guy was ready to commit suicide because of the torment he was going through. 
they'd rather let him go home and commit suicide as opposed to taking what it took me five seconds to deal with the circumstance. It literally was that fast. But they, their faith obviously was built upon nothing. They didn't believe what Christ said. See, they wanted all their prosperity and all their signs and wonders and all their being drunk on the Spirit. You know, and that's why we wrap things around back into what I brought up concerning Jack Parsons and his Babylon working. Folks, has anybody ever stopped to consider that being drunk upon the blood of the saints? Did you not think about what's going on with these groups? Is they're running around claiming that they're drunk in the spirit? Oh, you didn't realize all this connected. Now, we've talked many times in the past concerning the last days of Babylon. What bothers me is when you look at what Jack Parsons did here, you become very disturbed when you look at his Babylon working because there are things in there where it flat out lets you know that these people were laying the foundation, laying the groundwork. I literally, when I was involved in the occult, I stood out at the Pagan Spirit Gathering in Ohio, hosted by the infamous Selena Fox. Well, who was she? She legalized witchcraft in the United States. I've been in the presence of that woman many times. She was not very fond of me. Turned pale white the first time I met her. Stepped about 10 feet backwards. But then again, I still have that effect on people. Especially these, uh, what do you call it, self-serving shepherds. They tend to do the same thing. I wonder why. There's correlations here happening. These things are happening on a very specific markers in a very specific timeline. Crowley gets his start, really gets the ball rolling in 1899. That goes back to that 120 years from 2019. This is not coincidence. Parsons does what he does. They do these stunts in 1947. Same with the rest of them that are involved. Again, this is not coincidence, everybody. What happened right around the corner? Well, November of 1947, it was in the actual UN mandate was being signed into place. And obviously in 1948, when they became a nation. But that paperwork was already in motion. Why did they set these things in motion at the exact same time Things were happening in Israel. See, that's what I think about when I look at these things. They had a purpose to what they were doing, and it begins to get unnerving when you recognize what transpired, what was their mindsets, not to even mention the reality of who they were contacting, the places they went, like I said before, the places they went were of the utmost importance, especially when you go backwards and consider Crowley. He starts in Egypt. He makes his way out to Tibet, out to the Himalayas. This is not coincidence. Something very peculiar is stated in the Greek concerning the Assyrian. And that's where I'm going to give it back over to Matthew before I progress further in that direction. Well, we certainly have to go in that direction. We have no choice because 
the Assyrian false prophet is not, well, he's not mystical, he's not magical, he's not erythreal. To the contrary, the Bible states most illicitly, he is real. And he is a beast that rises from the earth. You can't get around it. The Bible does not say that he rises from the sea like his master. It says that he rises from the earth. It always uh, describes him as real and human. No way around it. Just like Jesus is a son of David, this beast that rises from the earth is from the sons of Adam. So with that in mind, you know, Brian, we need to talk about that. Is is he something that somebody conjures? Does he come uh, from a different dimension? Does he come from a different planet? Uh, let's talk about it because we, and we have to speak biblically, okay? So we can't use terms that come from the Omen movie, okay? So no, uh, the Bible never calls him the Antichrist, and no, his mother is not a jackal. And that's some funny, twisted humor injected into the script of the Omen about him being genetically a dragon. This has got nothing to do with any of that garbage. We need to talk about what's real, and we need to talk about what the Bible actually says. So, Brian, what's your thoughts? Is um, Well, we know the in vitro capital of the world has been, is, and shall ever be Israel. If you're going to perform genetic engineering, really only one place that has the medical facilities to facilitate your desires. So, Brian, is he coming from a lab? Do you think he's coming from a different dimension? And let me make sure I'm, I'm clear with everybody so you understand what we're talking about. In reference to the veil, Brian is speaking in terms that other dimensions are other heavens. There are multiple heavens mentioned in the Bible. Brian is using modern terminology describing to you that those are other dimensions, just so nobody's confused. But you have to put your opinions to the test, ladies and gentlemen. You've got to push the envelope. You've got to come to a reckoning with what God is saying. So with that in mind, Brian, uh, what do you think the Assyrian false prophet is? You got the mic. Well, as we've had discussions in the background, folks, you need to take note of the fact that the word, the Assyrian, is always a singular noun. Now, this began to hit me quite some time back, that this means he's been in motion for a very long time. It's always been him. Pulling the strings. I mean, a very long time. 
Now, as I began to flesh this out, because I had suspicions as I was doing my historical work over the years here, and I began to learn many, many things that were being ignored by most people within the uh, historical, biblical, archaeological realm, because they completely ignore anything that goes beyond, say, the river Euphrates. They'll go up a little bit past it, but they never touch Central Asia. They never go down into Afghanistan. They never go down into Pakistan or India and look at anything going on there, nor have I seen anybody even touch the Indus Valley civilization. And yet, these are places where I have unlocked a vast amount. Not to even mention, this is how you bring India, Pakistan, Afghanistan into this. Everybody remember that that border with uh, Pakistan and the naming of that nation did not occur until 1947. 1948. I can't remember the exact year off the top of my head in one of those two. Before that was considered part of India. Now what the archaeogenetics have proved already is that in the midst of the Indus Valley civilization, the Margiana Bactrian complex included that the genetics of these people was J2 which is from the Semitic bloodlines. Now, if you go to either one of my websites, either endtimetribunemedia.com or thebandsoftime.com, I have the link up there to the J2 archaeogenetic work, and you're going to find out, scientifically speaking, everything I'm about to say has been proven to be fact. Now, I began to notice a lot of things, you see, because... When we started out this work concerning the birth of Christ and the slaughter of the innocents, I decided to go look backwards. I wondered if we had an event that was similar to what the star that the Magi followed, if we had an event that matched this prior to the birth of Moses. Because, yes, we had a slaughter of the innocents at the time of the birth of Moses. So I decided to look in that time window to see if anything stood out. And I knew full well that this type of astronomical record, I was only going to find it in one of two places. Be it, it was going to either be in India, it was going to be in China. Well, guess what? It was in both. And I found a massive event, a cosmic catastrophe that happened in 1607 BC, 80 years prior to the birth of Moses. It caused the downfall of the prominent dynasty at that time in China. They recorded the same event in a different way in the texts in India. One stated they saw ten suns in the sky. The other one referred to it as having seven, or even seven heads. So I began to dig more and more into these cultures looking at what was going on, really started diving into the Indus Valley civilization because I started having strong suspicions. Because look, when you look at Genesis 11, some of your English translations, they've changed what it states there, but the King James still keeps it very plain. And you even have the authorized 
Israeli Hebrew translation to English of the Bible of the Old Testament as well. It states the exact same thing, that as Nimrod is building his cities, Tower of Babel, Asher went forth and he built different cities. We talked about this in the past privately, Matthew and I, and I had always sort of had the premise that Asher, the Assyrian, knew to get out of Dodge. As I began to look at these ancient civilizations, for one, with the Indus Valley civilization, you find out that they were deeply connected to Elam, and they were connected to Samaria. They know this because they have found the specific Indus Valley civilization seals that have yet to be translated in both places. As I began to look at the stories concerning the uh, lore that's passed down through all the texts from ancient India, you look at the Persian text, you begin to realize that you have this fight going on back and forth and back and forth between two groups. And this term Asura, the Asuras keeps coming up. It took a little while for it to click, but then I went, I wonder, does this have anything to do with the Assyrian? Does this have anything to do with Asher? So I took a look. Lo and behold, I had come across a book called The Civilized Demons, The Harappans in the Rig Veda. You can find this on Kindle. This man documents what they found there, and indeed in the Indus Valley, and he found several of these inscriptions that were the exact same picture that if you go and look up an image of Asher, well, you can even look at a Haramaz, that's one and the same thing. You found them all over the place. These same depictions on a continual basis. He has tons of evidence that he has in this book photographed and brought forward from this. But this is the only place I've ever found any mention of this. This guy went through great consternation to even get this book published. They wanted a lid kept on this for some reason. But then you begin to look deeper at other findings that were there in the Indus Valley. And you come on to finding something very peculiar that they refer to as the Proto-Shiva. And you can just type that in and you'll find images of this. You see, you find the same image also in other cultures that specifically were tied in with the people of Central Asia. Some of them refer to them as uh, Kyrnos, because you have another one, for instance, that was found on a item called the uh, Gundestrup Cauldron, which was found in Denmark you begin to realize that there's patterns here. Because when you look at this proto-Shiva, all of a sudden you realize that the description of the false prophet with his two specific horns, the picture's right in broad daylight. Now already at this point in time, I had begun to realize that Asher did go down into this area. It was later that I realized that that was a singular noun. My stance in this is the false prophet himself was brought about in this ancient time. 
because, well, them calling this the proto-Shiva began to make me question some things. You know, maybe they don't agree that the terminology is correct and this, that, and the other thing, but when you begin to look at this and then you begin to consider how could Shiva be tied into this, and then you get that infamous term that they use when they drop the first uh, atomic bomb in the first test. I have become the destroyer of worlds. And, you know, it's interesting here because Shiva, the third form, well, I'll skip that. It's also known as the destroyer. Destroyer of this, that, and the other thing. There's all kinds of things that go into this. And this goes back to, as I stated before, probably going to the Himalayans out towards Tibet. He was associated with several people that went to Tibet. None of this is coincidence. None of this. That's when, lo and behold, you find out about the infamous Mount Kaliesh, which is associated with Shiva. You see on top of it as well, when Crowley began moving forward, they came up with this terminology that the age of Horus had begun. And it was Horus that was speaking to them. See, that's a lot deeper than I'm prepared to go at this moment because I want to go over some of the uh, ancient texts and take a bit of a deeper look. But, I mean, the idea that they are referring to essentially is that uh, I don't have it on hand at the moment. But this age was essentially going to be controlled by, for instance, Mars. War, bloodshed, violence. And that's the age that they say that they were ushering in. Okay, here's the uh, exact uh, quote. Present, present age is under the influence of the force called, in magic terminology, Horus. This force relates to fire, Mars, and the sun. That is to power, violence, and energy. It also relates to to a child being innocent. Its manifestations may be noted in the destruction of old institutions and idea, the discovery and liberation of new energies, and the trend towards power governments, war. I'll leave it at that. I'm not going to bring up the rest. There's aspects I haven't looked at yet because I think there's a lot more being stated. Because folks, breaking it down, we know full well that the Greek term for Osiris is actually taken from the Assyrian. Because they would spell it the Osirian. Top of what we know, his wife was Isis. And then there's a son in this equation, Horus. I suspect that there's a lot more going on here than meets the eye. Because I'm going to be looking over all the, uh, I have a great deal of translated straight from the Egyptian writings, from their mythologies. I'm going to take a deeper look into Horus and try to comprehend what exactly it is that they're, uh, they're looking at here. 
You know, but I want to bring up one last point before I hand this over to Matthew. You know, when you consider the um, infamous, uh, because you see them in Egypt all over the place, for instance, the, uh, the flying disc. Yeah. Red in the middle with the wings of a vulture, an eagle vulture. They're varied colors. Most notably, they're usually the sun. Well, you take those wings, then you put the Assyrian in the middle of them. See, because that's what you're looking at when you look at this inscription. These uh, things that were carved into stone for Asher, for Haramazda. But you take those winged discs and then you begin to go, isn't this ironic? When you think about what is being spotted, and these people are looking at these very flying anomalies, these UFOs as they call them, because, well, what does that mean? It's unidentified. That means it can be a whole lot of things. But your mind really begins to go backwards and you begin to wonder if somehow that whole idea with the flying disc that they embodied, especially because in the Egyptian, but it's all over the place in ancient cosmologies and ancient religions, you just begin to wonder how deep of a connection are we really looking at here. Back over to you, Matthew. Truly, truly it makes you wonder how deep of a rabbit hole we're going down here. But... I appreciate your forthrightness and putting your thoughts on the table, pushing us to the edge, pushing the the envelope as absolutely as far as we can. Now, having studied everything that Brian is studying, I suggest you all take a serious consideration of what he just said, because it's serious. So, let's get into some real personal stuff. Push the envelope. Brian, have you ever encountered any of the varying alien species? Um, I want you to give a detailed count and make sure that at the end of that detailed count, you give your opinion as to whether they were real uh, whether they were just a figment of your imagination being a construct of sleep paralysis or whatever. Uh, were they the machinations of an angel projecting them to you? Just tell us because, I mean, you've got you've got experience with some of these alien races. Just just pick one. I mean, we've got what we've got reptilians. We've got mantises. Uh, we've got Nordics. We've got grays. I mean, we cannot we cannot forget the grays. So please uh, describe one of your personal experiences and, and just have at it. I mean, there's no reason to hide these things underneath the rock. And, and Brian, let me make sure you understand me very clearly. I didn't undergo these things for a reason. That being said, you being as equally saved as I... You're forced to deduct in your mind that whatever happened to you, and I don't care how terrible it was, Brian, some, some things are terrible. And I'm sorry about that. But you must deduct in your mind that whatever happened to you happened for a reason. So no reason for you to hide them under a bushel. So 
Uh, describe at least one of your encounters with one of these entities. Well, let me add into a little bit of what you said there first. I've stated this so many times around here personally, folks. Everything you went through in your life is for a reason, is for a purpose. Now, we may not understand that purpose, but I think, honestly, sometimes it doesn't matter if you understand it or not. I did go all through all these things, not having any idea of where I was going to be sitting for instance, in this very chair today, talking about these very topics. But I did, and there is a reason. Now, describing, as I brought up before, semantic entity. Was there an angel involved? No. How can I say that? When you're around the presence of an angel, there is a very specific feeling. Now, biblically, we would obviously refer to that as discernment. I can sense what something is just by feeling what's going on with it. Was this angelic? No, it was not. I've had flashes concerning the grace. That's a difficult one to describe because when you start going into the quote-unquote what you sense, yeah, it's a little strange sense almost next to nothing. Of course, you do go into a blind fear, at least at first. Now, I had events take place in a few of the places where I lived where you knew they were messing around, and you didn't have even, you know, the whole ship involved in it. But again, this was something I didn't sense anything going on with the angelic realm whatsoever. Did you feel something that was dark behind this? Oh, yeah. Me and Matthew just talked about this last week. I had an event one night where I'm sitting there, all of a sudden, a whole bunch of the uh, these uh, infamous reptilian beings came through the ceiling, planted themselves all over my house. We lived in a loft apartment at the time, and they were standing on the top of the uh, banister to the loft one spot you have one on the end of the stairwell but again these things were not I did not get that sense of them being angelic whatsoever well, let me ask these, you, go ahead well let me ask you this did the banister creak was their motion because you said they come through the ceiling so at one point they would have had to been well, obviously not physically solid if they come through the ceiling. Uh, so did you hear evidence of their physically being there, or did they leave evidence of their physically being there? Like did they move objects or uh, other type of criteria? Uh, did they walk up and down the stairs, or did they just present themselves and stay motionless? Well, they essentially came in, stood there, leered at me. The atypical, um, trying to give the threatening impression and, you know, to put it bluntly at that stage, with everything I'd been through in the past, not much surprised me anymore. They didn't frighten me. As far as did they manifest themselves physically or any of that, I can't really say that they went to that extent. They went to the extent 
where they made certain that their presence was known and so that they appeared? Did they make any noises while they were standing on these things or any of that? I, it was so far back, I don't exactly 100% recall. Off the top of my head, I don't think they made noise whatsoever. It was more or less uh, one of those moments where they kind of peered through the veil, did what they did, and then after quite some time, it took quite a while before they finally left because I, you know, at one stage, I'm just like, really? So I just started ignoring them. There's, there's no point because at times like that, you know, this is just kind of calling to mind what I was thinking then. There are times when these things, like, they want to draw your attention. They just want your attention. Uh, you know, I there was even some things brought up in one of these uh, documentaries I went over last night where people suspect that some of these things feed on fear. And if you don't show any fear, they get bored real quick. I don't know what they were trying to accomplish. But, I mean, like I was going to point out with this specific being, now, we don't need to go down crazy town David Icke road because he went too far with what he was talking about. But these types of beings, they are known, especially within the Native American, when you get into the desert regions, they speak of them fairly extensively, but there's been reports of these things all throughout the world. So this is one of these things that we know full well, yes, they exist. Now, when I call that an alien or an extraterrestrial, I don't know. I don't think they really fell into that category, but some people have put them in there. Now, of course, you know, we've had the reports where, like he brought up, they call them the Nordic variant, have appeared to people, and that's essentially what they did. They just kind of walked through the veil, stood there, had a little chit-chat. No, I mean, that's these are the ones that I would consider in that realm of alien, but as far as beings that came from one realm to the other, well, I have a whole list of those, but that's not really where we're going. As far as these very specific ones, did I feel any angelic presence? No. Was there something dark going on? Yes. But I do not, and I've stated it before, last program, I don't think the angels are behind this. And back over. Well, that being said, you're inferring that the angels are not behind this. The Assyrian false prophet is. Let me clarify for everybody in plain English. That is a terrifying thought. Now this puts it into the reality of biblical. And biblical is the arena of truth. That's a by far scarier thought because we know, um, well, they have limitations on them. Uh, they know full well from the flood and uh, from Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, they better not cross clearly defined lines. However, oh, this, this is so painful for me to say. The Assyrian is by the Lord's own mouth. His personal acts. Now, with that, it makes me step back aghast. Brian, that is a truly scary thought. 
right there. So let's talk about this. What have you experienced that was obviously not human that did leave physical evidence that uh, sat in a chair and you could pl- plainly see that you know cushions were moved any type of thing you've got to share with any of the number of different types of entities because I've just covered the, the main ones you said there are many of these entities what entities have you interacted with that were obviously real physical presence well the first two I mentioned yes they had a physical presence what other kinds have I dealt with that have had a physical presence oh boy you don't want to open that can of worms you realize we'd be here for the next at least month well just one let's regulate it to just one well we have multiple things that you would consider to be from the demonic realm let's talk about this for instance This goes back to when I had the first initial encounters with these beings, when the infamous Belleville events were happening, back, I believe, 1986. Folks, there's a certain phenomenon that is reported time and time and time again when these things are going on within the regions that they're happening. And this is when screech owls begin to show up. Now, I saw these screech owls. That's exactly what they appear as. When you look up that term, screech owl, all you're going to find underneath it in the Hebrew is the word Lilith, Liliath. These things, time and time again, they begin to appear at the same time. Had many, many events where, for instance, one night we uh, sitting around with the people that I got involved with at this point in time because, well, let me explain a little bit about this person, at least to a degree to keep veiled who they are and any other personal references because I don't want people to know enough to track this person down because, well, it's not your place to do such a thing. But this person was born as a functioning autistic. She was extremely extremely well-versed within Enochian, within Enochian magic, within all forms of Kabbalistic high magic. She created in her house an Enochian Enochian tablet, which was embedded in glass, cut a hole in the floor, put this item through it. You can hear the singing on a continual basis, the strange sound always happening around where this room was. Now, this specific house itself had so many things going on, it was ridiculous. One day, a group of us were sitting, dealing with something that had been causing a great deal of torment and quite a few people. One of the people there was sitting against the wall. And, of course, he had gotten this entity's attention. Next thing you know, this person got burned right through the outlet, the electrical outlet that she was leaning up against. It left an impression right on the very back. Her very back, you could see it broad daylight. 
had circumstances where I've had people around me have gotten great big deep scratches on them when things were going on. One of the houses I lived in, boy, oh boy, oh boy. It is the oldest house in Madison. There were things that were going on in that house that were absolutely unbelievable. But anybody that was um, able to sense these things, they would walk into that house and they could not believe what they were feeling, even what they were seeing. We would several nights, for instance, uh, we'd be sleeping, my wife and I, and we could hear people arguing nonstop throughout the night, nobody around. Other times we would go out into the living room after hearing somebody run, full force, shaking the house. Nothing around, nobody there. Oh boy. This goes and goes and goes and goes. Well, let me put a stop to it there. Let's, we're down to the last 20 minutes of a two-hour program. Let's let's talk about something that people can probably readily identify with the entertainment industry. You directed my attention to a uh, series that you had or that you know of. Directed my attention to it. And I thought to myself, well, let me read up on it. No need for me to watch it. I'm not going to, I mean, no, no more than I have desire to read, uh, to watch The Omen or Thief in the Night or Left Behind. No, no reason, no, no purpose. I don't have time for that. So I just looked up these uh, screenplays online, scanned them. I found one very interesting entity that you said you had interaction with. This entity is known as Zoe. Why don't you uh, describe, Brian, your interaction with this uh, entity, Zoe? Um, make sure and include uh, to describe whether you were on psychotropic drugs or not, or maybe you were drunk. Uh, make sure you define the parameters. Was this in the wintertime? Was it in the summertime? Was it a normal day? Was it thunderstorming outside? Uh, were you asleep? Was this sleep paralysis? Now, please describe to us the events that led up to your discourse with the entity known as Zoe. Well, this had went on for a long time, and Matthew brought up, you can look into this. You're going to find out that any, at least many of the people that were involved in the government remote viewing program also started encountering this deity. There's a movie series like Matthew brought up out there that's called Insidious. That's him. I began to encounter this entity on a continual basis. Was I this, that, or the other thing? Maybe a few times. Most of the time, no. I began to encounter him on a continual basis in the midst of astral projection. It's not pleasant. Many times got into many pitched battles with him in that realm. Time progressed and went forward. Yeah, he began to make his presence known in many ways. One night I had him show up in my bedroom at night. 
little chit-chat, discourse back and forth and back and forth. I could tell full well that he was he's lying to me like they do. And I mean, what else happened in the midst of this? One time, knew something weird was going on in uh, another house. And, you know, it's ironic. Uh, been there, done that. Well, I know a lot of crusaders around here. We came right into that crusader's house. See, they've got a habit of having their houses filled to the brim with uh, demonic spirits. It's what happens when you do these things you're told not to do. But this, uh, he showed up, moved items on the table, took a set of pennies, literally spelled out his name. Now, who or what? Not for me to say. What I do know is I encountered him. Turns out a whole lot of other people had come across this very same thing. Now, of course, the only, I don't usually watch these things my wife wanted to watch a movie one night, so I obliged. I'm like, why not just pick something? Well, she watched the first movie in the series. I saw his face. I went, this ain't funny no more. This movie ain't a joke. They know what they're talking about. Watched through it. Sure enough, they did. And the whole concept of what was going on here on top of it is the main thing that was happening to was people that were inclined to being capable to astral project from a young age. That's how it happened with me. Some people, especially when you start getting into your um, satanic realms, what happens with them with the satanic ritual abuse, they learn to astral project to get away from the torment that they're dealing with. That's not how it happened with me. I was able to naturally do it. I don't know why. Personally, I don't care. I don't do it no more. Well, that's a good point. Now, 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 wait a minute. That's a good point. Now, we have got tons of so-called ministries out there encouraging people to do this. So you need to define yourself very clearly. Uh, Do Christians dabble in this sort of thing? Under what circumstance would a Christian astral project? I mean, you said yourself that you don't do it anymore. Tell me why. Do you have you exited that scene uh, because of your faith, or what's the deal, Bry? Well, absolutely. I don't see that I'm supposed to be doing these things, and yet, like Matthew brought up, and I'm sorry, you know, those locally here, they know full well I'm. I don't dance with them anymore or play their games. They can get upset all they want. I've warned them what they are doing is wrong. Uh, more times than I even care to mention. Oh, they're they're pushing astral projection on a continual basis. These uh, coven houses, they have been completely taken over by occult teachings. And this is exactly what they're doing. Astral projection is one of the big things they're doing. Because they're, they're saying that we're having these, um, quote-unquote, I don't even want to say it because it's not. They're claiming that they're having spiritual travel just like they did in the Bible, and this is what they're... No, they're not. I've heard what comes out of their mouths, what they're describing. They're astral projecting. I had one person 
here that claimed to be a Christian that one night dropped in the middle of my house. And then, to make matters even cuter, decided that they were going to uh, make sure that I knew and appear. And they seemed to think that, yeah, this goes over that Babylon working. This goes back to what I discussed before, and I've been told this by also a practicing Satanist at the same time. You see, Circle Sanctuary, Pagan Spirit Gathering out there, I watched the meetings they had, how they were going to infiltrate the church. I spoke with a Satanist during those days as well that discussed with me what they were doing to infiltrate the church. You can go out there and access the information through what used to be Lucifer Trust. They changed their name to Lucius Trust because they went, well, that's a little obvious. That's the New Age Society, the Theo, Theosophy Society that went through Alice Bailey, now went down to David Spangler, which so happens to be in the state that I'm in now. Their documentation used to be on their website. I downloaded it. I've got it backed up here somewhere. Their plan to take over the church. You see, but here's the thing. Come 2001, you see, I thought I was walking into a group of people that were actually Christians. Yet, all they were doing was practicing the exact things I came out of. Read the Bible once. I knew full well something was seriously wrong. But to make matters even more um, complex or entertaining, depending on what term you may want to use, you see, it's when um, a very specific uh, group of Satanists began to appear on a continual basis around these people. They began to show up at these places that they're trying to call a church. Just nonstop. I've seen these people around here as well. Um, they will post pictures of themselves out in gatherings with people that I knew from Circle Sanctuary and then turn around and try to convince everybody they're Christians. Give me a break. Let me ask you this, Brian. Since how you've obviously had experiences uh, both ways. Were you having sleep paralysis when you engaged these entities? Was you asleep? Um, obviously, you know the both. You obviously know the difference between the feeling when you're astral project projecting and when you're dreaming. So I don't need to question you about the validity of what you're saying. I mean, good grief. You've done – spent over a month – in my house with my family. So no no reason to go there. I know you're telling me the truth. Have there been times when you certainly was not in your bed and you certainly was not in Kansas anymore? Is there a time when you had been physically taken somewhere and you were absolutely aware of that? Or does all this occur in your bed or on your couch or at the kitchen table? Did all this occur in your house, or was there ever time you were taken somewhere physically? Well, it's like the first event I described when I had my encounter in 1986. That night, 
from the fractured memories that have come forward, it was taken somewhere. I was definitely taken somewhere. Now that night when everybody uh, realized that something wasn't right, when we heard the uh, pulsing, it's close to um, approximation, maybe a 60 to 50 hertz hum that was pulsing in a rhythmic order. At that point, I know I couldn't get up. I don't seem to think anybody else could get up because the second we could, when we heard the uh, the turbine itself, I don't know how else to describe it, but when it kicked in and then you heard the explosion as it went whipping up and disappeared, that's when everybody came scrambling and ran straight towards the window outside of my bedroom. So we couldn't move at that point in time. Now, see, I know everybody's going to want to go physical evidence. Do you have... Oh, boy. Look, I'm not asking you for physical evidence. You no, obviously... No, 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 no. Let me finish. I don't think you understood what you posted today. Look, to this day, I still have something in my light. That's a small capsule, a little bit bigger than, say, a rice kernel. I don't know what it is, but it showed up in the midst of these years when these things were happening. Well, let me ask you this. This this particular event, were you in a dreamlike state, or were you in an astral projection state, or was you cognitive that you weren't in Kansas anymore? I mean, you know the difference. I mean, you've had dreams before. No sense to lie. You've had dreams. Look, you need to understand something. The vast majority of people that have come forward with their stories on this, there's a reason why most of them have to go through some form of regressive hypnosis. Is because when these events happen, they put up barriers in your mind. I did not fully start having those barriers come down until I was about 19. So all I can pull is from what barriers came down. And so I can pull from what I just described as the physical event of what happened. The aftermath. The Yes. The um, Well, don't insult my intelligence. You're a musician, and you understand that I have certainly taken music theory in an institution of higher learning. Okay, so no, no, no reason to mince words here. Okay, we got to push the envelope all the way out to the edge. You specifically mentioned a range of megahertz, did you not? Yes, there's a reason. And you why. said, and you said this was oscillating, right? Exactly. Let me ask you something. Could you produce this oscillation, rhythmic sound? With I don't know, let's just pick one, shall we? Just for fun. Could you produce this with a trumpet? You could. Oh my goodness, what a dead but, wreck. <laughs> you see, I'm I just, could do it with a synthesizer. Quite ex- exactly, Brian, that's my point. Let me ask you this. Do you think it, po- it is possible that this rhythmic humming sound that you heard, do you think it is quite possible that that is the mechanation used to relocate you into a different, well, let's just speak biblically, not not modern terms. We won't use that term. We'll just speak biblically. Do you think this rhythmical hymn 
that you heard after the event, so you're already back in Kansas, is what transported you to a different heaven? Now, yes, I'll clarify. In modern terms, the experiencers call this dimension, but do you think that was uh, the mechanism that transported you, yes or no? That one is a little difficult in itself to answer. Really? That tone, that vibration, I think is exactly what is being used for them to be able to go between one point, <laughs> being used that word dimension, I prefer to use uh -huh. that word veil. I think they're using that frequency to go beyond the veil, to go past our physical existence into this other existence. Okay, so is so, that vibration being used on top of it as well to transport people? This is possible. Well, let me ask you another question. It is quite possible to audibly hear a sonic boom. A sonic boom is not altogether, not altogether different than the aftermath of a bolt of lightning. In close proximity, let me explain. I've been within 50 feet of a lightning strike, and I heard exactly what you heard, only it was due to the collapsing of a vacuum. Now, I hate to rain on everybody's party, but if these things, this thing that was in Brian's location, obviously... Above, he said that he and other individuals that uh, had this experience together, they both went to the window and looked up. That tells me that the boom did not come below them, as in downstairs or in the basement. It did not come flaking the sides of the house. It came from above them. Make no mistakes, if you leave this dimension and go to another dimension, it is most certainly going to create a nice audible boom, exactly like you experience when in very close proximity to a lightning strike because it creates a vacuum. That's what a, that, that's what a thunderclap is. But when you're within the clap, oh my goodness, it makes quite a boom. And I, having been in the military, know exactly what sonic booms sound like, and I have the rare opportunity to inform all of you it was the same experience. So, Brian, is it possible that they produced this frequency? And by that, let me explain what Brian was trying to say. What he, what he was trying to say was that they produced this hum in order to go up to a different rung on Jacob's ladder. That's another good way, easy way, especially for uh, those of us that's elderly, to understand the different layers of reality or dimensions. To the older people, they, they readily understand Jacob's Ladder, that it comes up and down, and that means that they're moving. Brian, do you think that the different rungs of this ladder requires a different blast from a trumpet or whatever tool it is they're using to produce this effect? What's your thoughts? That is fairly probable. As you pointed out, the boom. Yes, that was involved with this very event. I am once again 
Yes, when I was in the military, folks, the, uh, well, I was trained as a squad leader. We would be out in the midst of, say, if we were doing a training exercise in the woods, the plane went over, I knew exactly what kind of plane it was. I am very familiar with all forms of military aircraft that were being used at that point in history. I even stood next to one of the two SR-71 Blackbirds at the Air Force Base I was at in Lackland, uh, Lackland Air Force Base in Texas, right near San Antonio. Well, we need to clarify that. So you as a janitor in the military, what was you in the military that would grant you access to stand beside a Blackbird? I, my job was law enforcement. But so the Blackbird was there on display. This had nothing to do with being anything. Anybody that came on that base would stand next to it. But you were an MP in military terms. Technically speaking, yes. There's one that's security specialist. They stand around and guard stuff. Law enforcement, well, have a chit-chat with anybody that's uh, been serving overseas in the midst of what's been happening since September 11th. We basically keep those guys safe when gotcha. you have to go out with them. Gotcha. All right, we just needed to clarify that because we don't need people randomly saying that, you know, this is a conspiracy theory. Brian was never in the Army. Um, yes, you could probably access his records publicly and see that, yes, military MPs have, well, the clearance to <laughs> – this is so so funny – they really do guard stuff. Did you know that? And they guard stuff that nobody's supposed to see as well as things that people can see. Uh, that's what the military police are for, just so you know. So anyway, this is this is a very interesting thing uh, that we have interjected into this midst of this. So let's talk about what you know about genetics, Brian. Uh, do you think that well, it, it's obvious that you think that some of the nuts and bolts saucers are military. These uh, triangle craft, I think the popular term for them is TR-3B. Uh, do you think that that is what we're dealing with, or you think that uh, these entities employ uh, craft as well? Your thoughts? Well, to clarify it fast, to explain the sightings I've had, there's one, something spiritual. Usually they just appear as a light. Whereas there's the other, there's craft. Um, to give further detail on this, for instance, I explained last week, one time I was out with a group of people, and we were strolling around out by McFarland, driving down the road, and we noticed that this craft kept stopping over houses. And I looked at everybody in the car, the driver himself was a buddy of mine that was our drummer at the time. I said, follow it. So we spent the next two hours following it, doing the same routine. There are physical craft involved here. What they are, that could be tricky. And this is something I've known about for quite some time. I took a little look-see again last night on at least one documentary I had access to. Folks, we know full well that there was things that were going on the Nazis in Germany, there's connections to groups within the Nazis, to the occult. Himmler obviously was heading up that department, and yes, many within the command circles within the Nazis thought he was absolutely nuts. 
I think to a degree that's almost irrelevant. They also, on top of it, know that they were working on experimental aircraft at that time. On one of the documentaries I went to last night, they had the actual documentation that had been recovered from these engineers and from the engineering facilities themselves. Because while we're most of the aircraft and rocket engineers for the V-2s, where did they end up? United States. Brought over here by Operation Paperclip. All this is declassified now. We're not dealing with conspiracy theories anymore. That's the fact of the matter. A vast amount of them were brought into NASA. Tied in with the space program itself. Now in these uh, diagrams, and I found it very ironic that uh, whomever decided to show the diagrams made sure that they amplified certain things in the documents. One of the very specific things they brought up was plasma. Well, folks, look, if you're going to do something like this, oh, yeah, you need to harness plasma. They also brought up the electromagnetic properties. They also brought up that in some of the testing, they know full well that they were using radioactive energy to try to power these devices, and they were hurting people, killing people. Many, many of the uh, scientists were killed because of this exposure to the radiation. Now, obviously, we have the reports of the Foo Fighters. What those were, well, Matthew and Aaron covered that in a program already. But there's some as well that had suspicions that those were an advanced, top-secret Nazi craft. And they started working on these things prior to this, and this was pretty much well-known within all the uh, circles within the uh, military groups and nations that were fighting against Nazi Germany in World War II, they know full well they were doing these. So in those circles, when these things started showing up, they began to ask the question, have they mastered making these things? On top of it, and the reports that were brought up, and at least the one I went through last night as well, these uh, craft were firing on some of these planes and they could not outmaneuver them. They were doing every single thing that you would see reported in a modern day UFO scenario. Now I know full well about much of the technology that the Nazis possessed and were capable of making. Folks, people don't seem to understand that we were well, one of the last-ditch efforts was going to be the atomic weapon that they were already building. And it's been proven that they indeed possessed it. They have now found the place where it was made everything. Okay, the heavy water that the United States military had to get their hands on to make those first two atomic weapons, where do you think they got that from? Brought over to the United States on one of their U-boats and they transferred it straight to them. There's been talk, of course, of the infamous uh, Nazi belt. There's been some deep digging in that realm by quite a few different uh, people where they pointed out that they strongly believe that, once again, it's had everything to do with sound. Now, as I've talked about on many of our different programs over time, I am a musician. When I look at the workings of understanding, especially how our universe works, one of the very key elements that helps me to understand things 
is sound. Scales, music theory, all of that. And honestly, we might be in some of these circumstances when you go back and understand the technology that was already available at that time, but then you hit the fast forward button. We talked about Dr. Paul LaViolette many and many times. You know, for instance, he's the person that brought forward the galactic core explosions and the superwave. His first claim to fame was the fact that he created a fully functional, operating, anti-gravitational engine that, as he referred to it, worked off the ether. What does that mean? It's a zero-point energy device. You set these things up properly. You harness the plasma, the natural occurring plasma on top of it. Then you put sound into the equation. Coach, I did almost a year, year and a half solid work on this project alone. You can breach the veil by doing this. Let's go backwards and consider, for instance, the reports of what happened with this uh, Navy ship where they decided they were going to test some uh, Tesla coils on that ship. When they hit the button, because they were trying to make a, a stealth, I believe, craft that was going to evade radar, something very strange happened when they hit the switches on those Tesla coils. They breached time-space. These people ended up, that were on this ship, showed up in this bar. And then years later, there were people sitting on the ground at the point where they said they showed up, and they saw these naval people walk into this bar, and they turned around and backed it up. The reports also stated on top of it when they flipped this switch, people melted into this ship. Now, I can't remember off the top of my head. I want to say the Manhattan, but it's not, because that's the uh, nuclear weapons project. I can't for the life of me remember the name of that project. It's a Philadelphia experiment. Yes, thank you. And there's all kinds of stuff that's even tied into that because the one of the people that started drawing uh, people's attention to this event, he had a specific book he wrote up, but on top of it, he had a special copy where he had written in the margins all kinds of things tied into this whole realm of when you start discussing things going on within the uh, UFO area. So what I suspect is this guy also believed there were correlations back and forth with these events. Well, Brian, it really is off the charts when we consider all the data that's gone into because a lot of research has gone on to not only the Manhattan Project, but the Philadelphia Experience, um, people, eyewitness accounts, stuff like that. So we certainly have this tie-in between the nuts and bolts of the military experimental craft and, well, the craft that these entities are employing from somewhere else. They're not from here. This ties in with the whether these entities are from here or from somewhere else, whether they're genetic modifications or even golems or just figments of somebody's sleep paralysis. So with that in mind, your closing comments, Brian, please. 
Well, let me add in the factor, too, as far as uh, experimental military craft. Now, I mentioned this previously. I don't know if I did in this series or not. There was There is a specific plane that was being tested here from uh, Truex Airfield that was capable of flying in the exact same manner as is reported in these uh, the way that these UFOs are capable of flying. I sat there, watched it one night, and my wife's father was outside watching it with me, and I looked at him and stated, ain't that trick? It's like, yeah, what in the world? And I said, it's, it's military aircraft. They're out there testing it. And he was just baffled by it. And I said, yeah, I've been down by the air base because we used to go to the BX there, the base exchange, and right by that base exchange is the fence where those things are parked. It's just a standard-looking military aircraft, but it is definitely got the capabilities to make these tight turns, to go whipping off, to stop and hover. Yes, they they have these planes in their possession as we speak. So we know for a fact, and you can look into the varied military aircraft they have. Not to even mention when you consider as well they have fired up United States made it official, even though this has been going on for a long time. We've been following this for years. The Aerospace Force. Russia has an Aerospace Force. Iran has an Aerospace Force. Maybe China. The United States announced they're doing the same thing, even though they've been doing it for ages. I mean, it wasn't Matthews where I watched something very large come down from very high above and was flying. There were other things that went on that night, but I think that's enough for that. Hang it to you for a couple seconds, and we'll close this out. Okay. Well, if you have questions or comments, please get a hold of me or the Bry. Um, don't have time to cover another infamous topic. There's been conspiracy theorists out there that throw around that NASA uh, is a Hebrew term. It most certainly is. It's most certainly in a verse in the Bible. Don't have time to cover it. But we have plenty of time in the future and plenty of space to do it. We're in multiple arenas now. Uh, in the process of completely switching over all the formats from the End Time Tribune. Now, the ministry name is according to the scripture. And Brian is uh, doing all kinds of stuff on his end. Uh, and he will share them with you before we sign out. But until next time, ladies and gentlemen, as far as I'm concerned, God bless, Godspeed. Brian? Well, on my end... Basically, everything is sitting back under the original project I started years back. It's entitled The Bands of Time. You can find that on Twitter, The Bands of Time, Facebook page, The Bands of Time, bandsoftime.com, YouTube channel, The Bands of Time, from the material we did previously, which we may go back into the realm of video. We're going to have to see how things work out. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting to explain even more. You see, everybody, the original name before I shortened it was Lightning Divides the Bands of Time. And this does tie into a multitude of areas. I reignited that project because what we started with the video series wasn't complete. 
we have so many things left to cover, and they all tie in this direction and that direction. So with that said, thanks for joining us. God bless.